As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Good morning and welcome to the Can't Wait Podcast. Final week of OTAs wrapping up today. Last media access was Thursday. That's when Connor Hughes was there. Uh, We're going to take a look back at three weeks of optional workouts. We'll talk about risers and fallers. Of course, another Zach Wilson update. Carl Lawson has arrived in New Jersey. We'll talk about his refrigerator. A lot more than just that. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. Thanks for joining the show early in the morning today. Please subscribe wherever you listen, whether it's on Apple or if you're with us live on YouTube right now, where somehow we were able to get started 9.03. I mean, I think that I feel like that's breaking all just the fact that we decided to do this at 9 a.m. is ridiculous and asking for trouble. But somehow, Connor, with five alarms has made it on time. I did, yeah. And the only the only downside is that I'm I'm operating today without the uh without the headphones because apparently, you know, they, they weren't going to connect unless I restarted the Mac. And uh, I didn't want to jeopardize a record for starting on time. So I was like, you know, we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna operate on the fly here. We're gonna call an audible. We're gonna uh make a slight adjustment and and we're gonna go headphone list. So I'm hopefully there's no feedback. I know like the Mac, the speakers are like down here, so so I don't think there should be an issue. You know, if not, you know, maybe we need the uh, the athletic to send Marissa a new microphone. I think that's what we might need. Your headphones aren't working, but uh, I need a new microphone. Okay. I was waiting for the third hat at Tim's new apartment. Yeah, still two. Well, I have three hats, but there's only two hooks, so. I'm going to maybe hammer a nail in the wall and add a third for next show. I don't know. We're getting there. We're getting Make sure you get the okay from uh, from the wifey before that one. I know we're not. I'm two weeks away from being married, and I know that I'm not allowed to put any holes in the wall without expressed written approval from Bree Galvin. We uh, we did start hanging a couple of things out in the main part of the new apartment, so that's, that's been fun. But, yeah, uh, sticking to our new um, goal of not talking too much before getting to the Jets, let's get right into it. Um, <laughs> And as we do with all these uh, off-season episodes, we got to start with Zach Wilson, Connor. Um, I guess Thursday was okay. It was fine. Some drop passes, whatever. But Tuesday seemed to really stick out to everybody. You wrote an entire 
uh, story on The Athletic basically about how it was a basically like a special practice for a young quarterback uh, where he just kind of shined. What does that mean at an OTA for a quarterback like Zach Wilson to be that impressive that like, I mean, it wasn't just you, you know, across the board, everybody saying how great he looked, but, but it's, you know, there's no pass rush, there's no pads. So what exactly does it mean that he was that good? Yeah. So I know that there were a lot of people specifically, like I would say that actually it's funny. So I'm in a group chat, obviously with several other reporters too, like some of my best friends since I've been on the beat, Andy Vasquez, Daryl Slater, um, and then also uh, Dan Popper, who used to cover the Jets for for the Daily News and then now covers the the Chargers for us. And after that practice, Daryl, who's like probably one of the most pessimistic people I've ever met, Andy, all these people like, you know, they, or Daryl was like, wow, you know, Jets might have actually gotten somebody here like like he looked pretty good. And Andy said the same thing. I said the same thing. And, and Dan then came in. Popper came in. and He's like, yeah, he goes, only I remember us writing the exact same thing about Sam. And look how that turned mm-hmm. out. And. It kind of got me thinking back to what Sam. Oh, quit. all right. So how about that for a transition? Even though that I was actually the next bullet point. That was the uh, next bullet point in my rundown. Sam too, did have Sam. moments where he looked good in OTAs, right? And Sam did have moments where he looked good in in the preseason. He he had that one incredible drive where he drove down the field against Washington in that joint practice, you know, which was basically the the Terrell Pryor brawl that wasn't because Terrell Pryor had, didn't have enough Keones to, to take a swing at any Washington player. He was basically scared of him. So um, we judged Sam with kind of some selective perception because he was coming off a full year of Josh McCown. We had watched two years of Christian Hackenberg. We watched three years of Bryce Petty, and there was Geno Smith and and Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, you know, Geno had moments, but he obviously, you know, there were five touchdowns one day and seven interceptions the next. And Fitzpatrick was never really a practice quarterback. He's a gamer. So there were all of these, like, such horrifically not good quarterbacking performances that led into us watching Sam practice. And there was an improvement there because as you can see, Sam is well, not very good. And I don't think he's very good. Sam isn't a horrific NFL player. He's not an awful NFL player. If you put great surrounding talent around him, Sam can probably have some success. So Sam did look good, but Sam also looked good going against the Jets second and third team defense because they had Josh McCown up first. They had Teddy Bridgewater up second. And it wasn't until a couple weeks into training camp, that we saw Sam Darnold work with the first-team offense. Zach Wilson, from the beginning of this, has been working with the first-team offense. Zach Wilson has been getting every single first-team rep. He's been going up against the Jets' first-team defense. Granted, it's not a very good secondary, but still, it's a starting NFL defense coming off of BYU. We've kind of said in all these other podcasts and written in all these other practice reports leading into Tuesday that it was a... He never looked great, but he looked... He didn't look like a rookie. And there were moments where you'd see the arm strength. There was moments where you'd see this throw and that throw and this arm strength and that accuracy and this touch and this wherewithal and this awareness. And you'd see all those things. He never had the ugly miscommunications, never had the the situation where he was holding the ball too long, never forced it into coverage, that kind of thing. All those were good, 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 good. Pretty much put him in line with what Sam was doing against the second and third team defenses and OTAs. But what Zach did on Tuesday, was different he still did not look like a rookie like we've been talking about he still did not 
make those miscommunications or didn't have any of those miscommunications or rookie blunders or this, that, or the other thing. All, all of that was still not there as it's not been. So you can still make the statement that he didn't look like a rookie. But as I wrote in that story, that would be doing such an injustice to his performance because on Tuesday, he looked ridiculous. I mean, it was just basically from the first uh, first pass of practice where he took that deep shot down the right side and Elijah Moore made the diving cra- diving grab. Where, where the, it was a perfectly placed pass because, yeah, Elijah Moore had to dive for it. But if it was six inches not as far, Bryce Hall is going to bat it away. So he put it right over Bryce Hall's outstretched hands into Elijah Moore's diving hands for a long catch down the right sideline. And it was just one after another after that. He hit Barrios on a skinny post. He went back to Moore again. He hit Griffin down the middle. I mean, he was just, it was bang, 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 bang. And what I loved about it was the first several practices, it was almost like they were playing with training wheels on. And what I mean by that, it was a lot of, sh- like, Wilson never looked bad. But it was always, like, short stuff. Occasionally, he'd go deep, but it was short. Like, the longest passes he was throwing, like, 15, 20 yards. Tuesday was the first time you saw foot press down to the floor or gas pedal down to the floor, and you saw LaFleur just let him go. Like, Mike LaFleur was letting him go. And he was accurate. He was decisive. He was aggressive. The best pass I think I saw, obviously, everyone and their uncle is going to talk about the one down the right sideline to Moore because it was the combination of the pass and the catch. But he made another one to Keelan Cole on the left sideline, which was reminiscent of another one where he made to Keelan Cole in his first practice with the Jets, where he went like just over the uh, it was it was a go route, but he went just over the corner just before the safety. And Cole made this like nice little back, like turning back shoulder grab. This was one where it was like a rounded out and he made the throw over the corner's head before the safety and just dropped it in a bucket. And the touch that he had to make that throw, not 10 minutes after taking the long ball deep shot and then also throwing the laser beam to Braxton Berrios to then be able to take it all off and throw that touch pass over the corner before the safety against the Jets starting defense. And I know it's not a great starting defense from a secondary perspective, but still a starting defense coming in. And this is only his third week of practicing with the Jets. It's 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 remarkably impressive. It really is. And that that practice on Tuesday, it wasn't good for a rookie. It wasn't wow. I'm surprised to see a guy in his first practice doing that. That was one of the best OTA practices I've seen from a Jets quarterback in a while because it was decisive. Like I said, it was aggressive. It was accurate. He moved the ball up and down the field. He made use of everyone at his disposal. He was spreading the ball around where you saw Moore getting some, Denzel Mims getting some, Vincent Smith, Ryan Griffin, Tyler Cross. Everyone was getting these passes. He was spreading the ball around that it was. That one got me excited for training camp. That one got me excited to see what Zach Wilson's going to do and what Zach Wilson is capable of come training camp because that was different. That that was that was, and I, I don't I don't say this lightly. That OTA, and I know it's padless. I know it's it's no contact. I know that you know Robert Tala said you know the offense is fully installed, but you know they're still not going you know 100 miles per hour on every play. That OTA was better than any OTA Sam had had ever had at any point, whether it was rookie year or either of the two years under Gase. Although that's not saying much, that was better than anything that that he's ever done because it was that was. That was impressive. That was really, really impressive. 
You just said something that, that made me want to ask this question. You said doesn't, you know, with during Gase's time. Um, do you notice a difference just in how these OTAs are run under Robert Sala compared to Gase? Or is an NFL OTA pretty much an NFL OTA? It's that. I mean, the only like real differences that you see, um, and, and I've noticed this now because I covered the tail end of Rex Ryan, all of Todd Bulls, all of Adam Gase, and now Robert Sala. NFL practices are NFL practices. Like, yeah. really, the only differences that you see are sometimes coaches do different situational drills. So, like, the Jets did something unique on Thursday, which is probably one of the reasons why it was kind of hard to evaluate Zach Wilson, where the majority of their um, team drills were all situationally based. So, like, before the Jets were giving repetition. So, it was like the first set of 11 on 11, Zach Wilson saw 11 reps, like 11 or 11, uh, a series of four. I'm sorry, 11 on 11 was a first series of four plays, and he ran those four plays. Then the second team would come on. This time, the last two practices, the Jets started with like a third and six or third and seven, and they had to convert the first down. And whether they converted it or they didn't convert it, then the second team came on for the second play. And then after the second team ran their play in the same situation, then the Jets ran like a second and five where the offense had like three chances to get the first down. And so like that was a different um, start to practice than I've seen. You'll occasionally see different variations of individual drills, like where the the positional coaches are running through uh, situations with guys. You see differences there. Sometimes you can see like when the special teams work could be different. So with Todd Bowles and Adam Gase, they like to run um, special teams right away. They like the special teams to go basically right after individual drills, and they would have special teams, and the special teams guys would go do their own. It looks like Robert Saul likes to have special teams in the middle of practice. So you'll see little things like that, but it, it's all the same. I, I'm curious what training camp will look like and if training camp will be a bit more intense or high energy or stuff like that. But the one thing that Sala said to us, and it kind of you're starting to see it, is that while he's so intense and so fiery and you see him with that screaming nature on the sideline, it's true. He's never he's not like Greg Williams and he's not screaming at players. He's so emotionally invested into the game that he's almost screaming like a fan where he's so amped up and so happy and so excited that he's amped up and he's happy and he's excited. So he's screaming excitement, amped up and happiness. Like that's what he's doing. He's not pulling a player on his onto the side and, and, and ripping them to shreds. I mean, he said it to us. He goes, I don't believe in butt chewings. I believe in teachings. So that's what he does. So a lot of these practices, as intense as Salah is, it's not like you have Greg Williams off in the corner, like scream five minutes, like screaming like Greg Williams used to scream like when he was on it, where it was like all show and just ridiculousness. It's not like that with Sally. He's intense. He's passionate. But when it comes to these practices, he really is teaching. Like that's what he's doing. He's teaching. And that's different. And I think it's uh, it's it's going to hold true with his practices where you're not going to see guys just going nuts and fighting each other and, and just penalties and all that stuff. You're going to see a, uh, uh, controlled environment, I think, is what you'll you'll see from those guys. So for Wilson, first step complete gets through the OTAs, of course, mini camp next week, and then the big thing will be training camp when things ramp up. I think you wrote in your story, Connor, used the line, "This is rudimentary math compared to rocket science." Come September, and so there's still a lot to get to. There's a, still a lot to figure out with Zach Wilson once they're actually pass rushing him, and there's a lot yeah. more to. Uh, another team is on the other side of the ball. So we will see, but certainly uh, pretty cool to see him pass the first test with flying colors. Another rookie who has passed that first test with flying colors and maybe um, 
the the big as much as we've talked about Wilson, maybe the bigger star of these OTAs though is Elijah Moore, right? I mean, this guy is really showing something. Yeah. It, before we get to that, just real quick, is that you know uh, the only point I want to make on Zach Wilson's Thursday practice is that it wasn't bad. Like that, like I kind of want to make that clear because some yeah. people I saw on Twitter and some people on social media and like people are like, oh, it sounds like Zach had a rough day or Zach was, I was like, there was one pass he made that was bad or two passes that he made were bad. I mean, he had, I, I can't remember who exactly, somebody was up the, like a post route, I think. Um, I think it was a post route and he overthrew him. Like he just, he just missed him like a couple yards over the head and there was another ball that he forced over the middle that should have been intercepted that it wasn't. But there were also a lot of moments that if it wasn't four drops, he actually would have had a pretty hell of a day. I mean, he made a throw on Thursday that if Braxton Berrios didn't drop it, it would be the highlight that everyone is talking about. I mean, it was more impressive of a throw than anything he has done at any point in, in any OTA. And it was like, if I'm not mistaken, he, so he dropped back in the pocket. I'm, I'm pretty. I can't remember how he started. It was under center shotgun, but the rush kind of forced him to the left. And remember, he's a right-handed quarterback, so he was like rolling left with Barrios running uh, across the field with him. He cut like this, pivoted, and then threw like that across his body. And it was must have been 35, maybe maybe 40 yards down the field. And when I tell you, it was. On a, I mean, it couldn't. He couldn't have run forty yards down the field and placed it any better. The fact it went again over the defensive back's head, right into Barrios's hands, like it was dropped in a bucket. And like maybe Barrios was slightly outstretched because we were in the end zone looking deep with Wilson, so it was kind of tough to tell exactly. But it just went through his hands. I mean, it should have been a catch. I mean, I don't think Barrios thought it had any chance of being there or getting there. But it was just like again, he threw it like this. Is how he threw it. And it was on the money and just dropped into Barrios's hand. So, I mean, he made plays like that in the red zone drill, threw a gorgeous one to Barrios on a laser right in the back of the end zone for a touchdown, hit Elijah Moore, who does nothing but catch touchdowns on the left corner. Like, he made throws like that that were still like, wow, really good. But there was like the the uh, an interception went off Chris Herndon's hands. There was the drop to Barrios. There were a couple drops from Vincent Smith. I mean, there were drops from guys that that if they make those grabs – Suddenly he's not six of 10 or six of 11 in team drills, but he's nine of 11 and, and, you know, they're moving the ball more down the field. So it wasn't um, a bad day. It just wasn't as good as Tuesday. And I think a big reason for that was there was no Jamison Crowder. There was no Denzel Mims. And there was also no Keelan Cole at practice yesterday on Thursday. So it was, it was a lot of like, I think those guys just not being there and him working with Elijah Moore who obviously now is seeing the number one corner. Then Braxton Barrios, Vincent Smith, Malone was rotating in there. DJ Montgomery was getting reps. I mean, there's only so much you can do with those guys. So I, I, want, I just wanted to make that point clear before yeah. you know, we, we move on. The Herndon hate from fans is starting to become a thing, too, I noticed on Twitter. Anytime it goes out, hey, Herndon dropped a pass, it's like, oh. Yeah, he's the new Adam Gase. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's, that's, a, that's the thing. His, his, we're doing a stock report later, like risers, fallers, his stock is down. Oh, you, he's just not doing anything. All right, how about Elijah Moore? I don't say this lightly. This is something I do not say lightly. He'll And I wrote this in the lead not long ago, is, is about how he will never be the most popular player at Jets camp. And what I meant by that is, like, they have a rookie quarterback they drafted second overall. No matter where Zach Wilson goes, that's where 
all of the cameras are going to be. That's what I mean by popular. Hey, Lucy's here. I didn't realize Lucy's in the, in the back corner. Um, that's where all of the cameras will be all the time. Like they're always going to be on Zach Wilson. Robert Sala made a joke with us last week at OTAs where he came over and obviously everyone's watching Zach Wilson individual jersey. He comes and goes, hey, just so you know, the defense is practicing over there. Like, you know, it's, it's just how it's going to work. It's, and because Elijah Moore, there's nothing Elijah Moore is ever going to do that's going to make him at this point unseat Zach Wilson as the show that everyone wants to see because he's the rookie quarterback. With that said, rookie quarterback, veteran quarterback, even though the Jets don't have one of them, Receivers, tight ends, offensive linemen, cornerbacks, defensive backs, linebackers, pass rushers. All that into consideration, Elijah Moore has been the best player at Jets OTAs. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that as he's, you know, the best of the worst. This kid looks like an absolute star. Like, just an absolute star. He is uncoverable when they're near the goal line. Like when I tell you every single practice that we have been at, he has caught touchdowns in the red zone drill. He's just so quick, so elusive, and so explosive down there by the goal line that defensive backs just can't keep up with him. And I know that like Javelin Gidry and Michael Carter and and Isaiah Dunn and like all these guys, like the Bryce Hall, like those are the guys that are covering Elijah Moore right now. I mean, that's not Richard Sherman in his prime or Jalen Ramsey or anything like that, but it's still impressive to watch this guy work. I mean, he gets off the line and like his quick twitch ability to like go right, come left, go left, come right. Like that, like that, it's just, it's almost impossible to stick with him in such short space when all you need is like four or five yards. I mean, I'm I'm serious when I tell you every practice we have been at, he has caught a touchdown in the red zone. He's showing the versatility now to not only be a slot receiver that feasts over the middle, you know, the guy that can get those five, 10 yards, posts, drags, that kind of thing. He's making plays, as the, as Salah said yesterday, the X, the Y, and the Z. You can put him in the slot, and he feasts. You can put him split left, and he feasts. You can put him split, split him right, and he feasts. And this is not just a yak guy now. This isn't somebody who I thought was just going to, you want to get on the ball in space and let him work. No, that's not how this works, because now the Jets are attacking deep down the field. They're taking shots with him, and he's making diving grabs. He made another play in that same Tuesday practice that no one's really talking about, and it was the one that I was like, I stepped aside and went, whoa, because it was just like an eight-yard, five to eight-yard. Again, we're in, we're in the end zone just to put in perspective for people. So, like, normally in non-COVID times, we can roam the sideline, like the, the walk up and down the sideline, so you can judge – Okay, they're set up at the 35. Okay, that was a 10-yard. That was 8-yard. When you're in the end zone, you can't really tell. So this wasn't like a deep, deep out, but it was probably between 5- and 8-yard out route. He ran up, made the cut, beat the DB as soon as he planted his foot in the line. And Zach Wilson put the ball. He had to lunge on an out route, full extension like this, and the ball hit his fingertips, and he pulled it in, still had the balance to plant and try to cut up the field, and then he ran out of bounds because the safety was right there. That's just as impressive. I mean, the guy looks like a star in the making. And I've made this comment before on here, and I've I've written it a hundred times where like I'm not a scout. I'm not, I'm not that type of a person. Like I can I can know a bad football player from a good football player because you can tell the good guys do things that the bad guys don't. Like there was somebody, uh, a woman who tweeted out a video of the Falcon or the Titans, I'm sorry, going through their wide receiver drills 
with uh, Julio Jones for the first time. And she said like Julio Jones is just different. And you see like the two wide receivers go like that little footwork drill and it looks good. And then Julio goes and it's like, you're watching him in fast forward. Like he's just so much quicker than everyone else. Like you can tell like that's a football player that is different than other guys. Like you can tell when people are different and you can see that with Elijah Moore, but how different is he really that good? Maybe am I just embellishing it because the Jets receivers have been so bad for so long? Like, is that what's in my mind? I was walking off the field uh, or going to my car after practice. And one of the referees that, that the Jets had hired to come pra- like to come oversee practice was parked next to me. And like, we were just bullshitting for a little bit. And we were talking about Zach Wilson and he looked at me and he goes, I'll tell you what, he's like, that number eight is different. And I was like, really? I was like, you saw it too. He goes, he goes, you can't cover him. He goes, that's going to be a special player. And like, when he said that, I reached out to a couple of the people that I, um, close with that that are both around the league and also within the Jets building. And the one thing that I got from somebody up in the Jets building was he's special. Is that he's special. And I was like, yeah, I was like, but you know, I was like, I was like, yeah, he's either special or he's just a media darling. And he's just doing this whenever we're in attendance. And then we leave the field and you don't know he's there. And he texts me back and he goes, Connor, it's every single day, every day, what you're seeing, he's doing it every single day it's getting to the point with this kid where where i remember writing about him i was like all right well the jets starting three receivers probably going to be split wide Corey davis obviously then you're going to have denzel mims or keelan cole and jameson crowder and then they're going to work elijah moore in and they're going to find ways to get on the ball but it's not you know he's probably not going to be this team's starter until next year when crowder is gone and 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 he takes over after otas if this is what mini camp if this is what's going to happen in mini camp is the, if this is what's going to happen at training camp, you can't take Elijah Moore off the field. You can't. I mean, the guy is, it, it, like I said, it's not about best rookie. It's not about good because the Jets receivers aren't good. It's not about taking advantage of reps because Corey Davis is hurt, Denzel Mims is ill, and then randomly absent yesterday and all this. Stuff. It's not about that. He is the best player on the field and it's not close he's better than any defender and i know carl lawson and quentin williams hasn't practiced but of the guys that are out there better than every one of them of the offensive guys i know Corey davis hasn't practiced denzel mims has been in and out there's no jameson crowder here it doesn't matter he looks different i mean it really it's just and it's not just me it's not just and you guys know i don't i don't cover this team with green and white glasses like if you want that you're not you're not getting it from me it is every single other reporter on that sideline or in the end zone watching him practice. Every single one of us is like either making some variation of a comment like Jamison Crowder get, better get back, get back quick, or just like taking our notepad, writing down two to eight again, and then just shaking your head. Cause it's just every day he does something. I mean, the kid and then the, the last play that I'll talk about, and somebody actually made a comment on this on one of my stories, and they said, does Elijah Moore remind you of Odell Beckham at all? And I actually said it's kind of funky because it's actually odd that this person asked because I don't think this person's followed my career this closely where he would know this, but I actually covered the Giants Odell's rookie year. That, that when I was in college, my first pro clips that I ever got were – with um big blue interactive and sb nation because you know i figured i was i was in college covering high school sports at the time i was like oh if i can just find an outlet that's willing to give me a credential and let me write some pro clips 
when I try to go get a pro beat writing job, this could be an opportunity to say like, look, you don't have to see if I've done it, like, or assume I might be able to do it. I can show you, look, I've, I've covered a pro team before. Look. So that happened to be Odell's rookie year. So I covered Odell, his rookie mini camp, OTAs, training camp, and, and all the way through his first game that he played. And then I started covering the Jets the regular season that time. That was Rex's last year. Um, I will say that real quick is that the first memory that I have of Odell Beckham is that his rookie mini camp or OTAs, there was a story that came around from some woman in the United Kingdom or overseas that said that Odell had an illegitimate child with her or he had like he had he had gotten her pregnant or something like that. And that was like this massive story that like, uh, Odell, do you have a child with this woman who now needs child support and all this stuff? And Odell's like comment was, I don't even have a passport. But like of all like the little bullshit that's like surrounded Odell's career, people forget that literally it started his rookie minicamp with this stupid little story of like someone that said that he had a child with her. Um, but I can't comment too much on like Odell's minicamp, OTA's training camp. Because he had a hamstring injury that basically sidelined him all the way through the start of the regular season. In training camp, I remember he tried to come back, caught a little drag route, burst up the right sideline, and his hamstring gave out again, and he immediately went back to the locker room. And I remember that because we were all like, hey, that's a setback. And Tom Coughlin was like, that's not a setback. That was planned. And it was like, Odell planned to hurt his hamstring again. Sure sounds like he went from practicing to not practicing. That's called a setback, but whatever, Tom. But what I will say that the, the similarity that I see between Elijah and OBJ is that Beckham, when he catches the ball, has another gear. And you saw it when he was with the Browns and he made that touchdown grab against the Jets where he catches the ball and he just goes. And that's where you can see the 80, 75, 65-yard touchdowns because he makes the catch. I actually did it, if I'm not mistaken, against Cromartie too, like in when, when Odell played the, the when he was still with the Giants. But he plants his foot in the ground, cuts up the field, and he's just gone. And he will outrun the defense by 20 yards because his acceleration and explosiveness after he goes, it's not just football speed. It's next gear speed. I haven't seen Elijah Moore do like the ridiculous one-handed grabs. I haven't seen Elijah Moore make like guys look silly. He doesn't have the flash that Odell does where Odell kind of has like that look at me play style. I will say that Moore made a grab on a deep in like skinny post where he made the catch planted his foot and then cut up the field and outran the entire defense by like 15 to 20 yards to the point where guys like corner safeties were just like after one or two or three strides, you're like, all right, I'm giving up. I'm just going to go back to the huddle, that kind of a thing. He does have, as I've seen so far, he has a similar next gear like Odell does where like most guys have, you know, they can go up to five and then they kind of like they've reached their, their peak. With Elijah Moore, like it's almost like you don't want to see the 40-yard dash. You want to see the 70-yard dash because you know he's going to be running faster at 60, 70, and 80 yards than he was at 20, 30, or 40. So I think that that he has a similar next-level gear like Odell where when you get him in the open field and if he has green in front of him and no one has an angle, no one's going to be catching this kid from behind. Like that's just a fact. No one's going to catch him from behind. He's 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 got that gear to him. I was actually going to bring up comps and mention Tyreek Hill, but you think Odell Beckham is a, is a better one? Uh, and then people in the chat are actually throwing out Antonio Brown also. Yeah, I've heard that. I, um, I didn't watch enough of Antonio Brown, to be honest with you, to be able to say like, oh, there's those things. I'm also we're only through OTAs. So it's kind of tough to say that yet. Um, I think people are saying Antonio Brown just because uh, Moore isn't that tall and Antonio Brown isn't that tall. Right. Uh, I think Antonio Brown was from watching like him and like a little bit of him in his prime. Antonio Brown's quicker. Like Antonio, like, I mean, his footwork 
Like if more can somehow get there, I mean, Antonio Brown was a freak. Like he, he was, when he's in his prime, he was a freak with footwork and elusive. Like it was different. So I wouldn't, I don't think I would draw a player comp to Antonio Brown. Cause I think Antonio Brown was, was just so different, like so unique, but I'll have to actually rack my brain around that one for a little bit. Cause I, I've, I've never been a big player comp guy. Like it's, it's tough too, because what people need to remember is like, I've, since 2014, basically, I've covered the Jets. So I've seen every single Jets game that they've caught played. I've, I've been at every home and a road game with the exception of COVID since 2016. So like I've been like Jets, 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 Jets. So when you cover Jets, 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 like a one o'clock Jets game, I'm writing during the four o'clock game. So I don't get to write. I don't get to watch the four o'clock games or flip because I'm writing throughout the duration of the four o'clock game. Maybe I can check. Maybe I can get the eight o'clock game, but by that time I'm either driving home for MetLife or going out for food on the road. So it's like even the eight o'clock games I don't really get. So to draw a player comparison, say, oh, he reminds me of this guy. I just don't have the knowledge anymore that I had when I was a kid where I was watching the one o'clock game, the four o'clock game, the nighttime prime time, like the night game prime time to recap all the highlights where I can say like, oh, he reminds me of so-and-so who plays the Jags or something. Like, I just don't, if the team doesn't play the Jets, I don't usually see much of their game. So it's, it's tough for me to draw player comparisons. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so uh, Carl Lawson has arrived in New Jersey um, after sending videos from his home workouts, making a trip to Las Vegas for some MMA work. Uh, This guy clearly has a plan for how he wants to get ready for the season, but he also spoke to the media for the first time on Thursday, Um, and he talked about posting his goals on his refrigerator, Connor, which is something I'm going to start doing, I think. It's just, you know put those life goals on the fridge. But overall, uh, first impressions of Carl Lawson, who, you know, you look at the numbers, 20 sacks in his career isn't a big number, but he gets the pressures. And the Jets are counting on him to really take a step, a leap. Yes. I lost the link to the podcast so long <laughs> grabbing that. I thought that was pretty good. That was a good toss. That was a good filibuster, toss. right? Yeah. I thought I did. That was great. And no, no, you set me up perfect because I actually had a, yeah. I had a chance to answer the two text messages that came in and then also <laughs> typed it through. I actually, we were fine. I hate Command V, but when Command V came up with an old text message I had copied, I was like, don't want to send that to Twitter world. Like, we're not going to do that. But um, yeah, the, the, the sacks on the fridge, I think that might have been like a... Uh, I think that might have been set up a little bit because uh, I'll be honest, like, so we we met Carl after um, he signed and he was like media good guy worthy. Like he was hyped up. He was friendly. He was joking. He wanted to talk to us. He wasn't about cutting it short. I think he had a bad day yesterday because he was having none of it. Like he was having no, he didn't really want it. You could tell he didn't feel like talking. 
He was short with his answers. There were times he's like, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to, I don't want to go. Like they were like, he, you could tell he, I think he was just in a bad mood. So like that sacks on the fridge thing, he goes, yeah, I have my goals. I write them down. And Slater had said like, oh, do you like hang them on your fridge? And he goes, yeah, I hang them on my fridge. But like, I, I don't, I think he was just saying it, but then also we went to like, so what are those goals? Like the one time Leonard said he wanted a sack a game and uh, that didn't happen. He had like a sack a season. Uh, and then it was, uh, he said, he made a comment where like, he was like, I'm not going into that. So it honestly, like it was my lead for the story yesterday, but I had to, I had to fight to make that the lead with his quotes because it was, it was not a great, uh, interview at all. I mean, he, you could tell he just wasn't in the mood to talk, but he is, I will say probably the biggest piece to this defense because while the Jets have had solid defenses over the years like they were they were obviously good when they went to the championship run, or very good when they went to the championship runs with Rex and, and in 2015 with Todd and and even Greg in 2019 like like Greg with two G's like he was able to make it work pretty good as well with that defense and and the wild thing about it all though is that the Jets have managed to have all of this like little success and do all of these little things despite the fact that they've never had an elite edge rusher. I mean, never. I mean, they had like Jason Taylor. They had like Babin. Like they had guys that they would rotate in that would contribute. Wilkerson, obviously, but he was a 34 guy who would pressure from like the interior. Sheldon too. Like they never had the, at any point, they they never had the big elite level, big time elite level edge rusher from the outside. And they were always able to find success in spite of it. With, this new scheme that they're going to be running with with Sala, they aren't going to be heavy blitzing. They aren't going to be exotic fronts. What you see is kind of going to be what you're going to get. And the way that this scheme works, and it's why it worked in Seattle when it was originally started starting to be developed and then really worked and blossomed in San Francisco, is that you're able to get pressure from just your front four, which allows you to do unique things with your linebackers and safeties and corners and covers that you don't have to blitz because you can get home with just your front four, just your front five. Obviously, in San Francisco, there was DeForest Bunkner, Solomon Thomas, D. Ford, Nick Bosa, uh, all of these guys that were like elite level pass rushes. I mean, the Jets don't have anyone on their defense that is anything like DeForest Buckner yet. Quinnen could develop there. And they don't have anyone like Nick Bosa, even if I think you have um, – Lawson develop. I still don't think he's a Bosa type player. I think he can be a very, very good pass rusher, but Bosa, I think, is just a next level type guy. Um, I think that Lawson's development, though, and taking that next step from a guy who's around the quarterback and hits the quarterback to a guy that brings the quarterback down is imperative because if the Jets can't create routine pressure with that front four, they're going to be in trouble defensively. Like, that's just a fact. They're, they are going to be in trouble defensively if that front four can't get home. And luckily, they have Lawson, who's going to be next to Quinn and Williams, with Sheldon Rankins and John Franklin Myers rotating in. And then you have Vinnie Curry and Jabari Zuninga and Bryce Huff, who's getting a ton of first-team reps at OTAs, all there as well. So the Jets do have players they like a lot, but they're going to need to get home and they're going to need to get there. And, and I think Lawson... There's explosiveness there. There's athleticism there. He's built like a like no player I've seen since maybe Josh Martin. Like like this guy's just an absolute. I, I he's it, it's like it's ridiculous how built this dude is. I mean he's jacked. When you combine that with his athleticism and his talent, 
you're going to get some some legitimate play there. You're going to get some legitimate explosiveness there. And it's just a matter of him taking that next step. Him being here for the final week OTAs, getting a chance to see him next week on the field at minicamp. I'm excited to see him work against, well, it's not going to be Becton because he's overweight and can't stay, can't stay on the field. But George Fant, Connor McDermott to an extent, rotate inside, maybe a little bit of work against the guards. I want to see him really go. And, and even some one-on-ones with the, the offensive lineman. I really want to see what he can do because – if he can develop and take and become a guy that gets between 10 and 12 sacks a year, where that's who he is now, he's a 10 to 12 sack a year guy, this Jet defense and this Jet defensive line looks a lot different, and it makes everyone's job behind him better, easier, because this defense is going to be reliant on that front four and that front four generating pressure without a blitz. That brings us to the risers and the fallers for the last, let's just collectively count the OTAs for risers and fallers, Connor. I think the risers are pretty obvious, but anybody other than, you know, Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore, the, these type of guys that that stood out to you as, as a kind of picking themselves up over the last few weeks? Yeah, I would say an obvious one is Braxton Berrios. Mm-hmm. And, and he's a guy that is obviously taking advantage of reps that he is receiving uh, because Jamison Crowder is not there, you know, and, and when Corey Davis isn't there, what the Jets are doing is they're moving um, Elijah Moore outside. And then so they're putting Elijah Moore as an outside receiver. They're putting a rotation of either Denzel Mims, Keelan Cole, the other one, and then Braxton Berrios becomes your starting slot. It, it's he's becoming and anyone who's a slot receiver for the Jets, I think is going to have a chance to catch, you know, 60 to six, I would say probably 80 to 90 balls this year, because it's clear through OTAs, the slot's going to be the, the safety blanket for Wilson. Like it's one where like, okay, he's not there. He's not there to get it down to the slot. And like, that's where Berrios is thriving because he's just making the middle of the field his home. I mean, he really is. He's finding the middle of the field. He's quick and elusive. He's finding the hole in zones. And he's making these little grabs where he's not going to have 130, 140 yards, but he's like that guy that's going to catch 10 passes for 60 yards, you know, 10 passes for 65 yards, something like that. Where what was that game? Uh, Crowder's first one with the Jets where he had 15 catches for like 95 yards or something like that. Wild. Like that's where Berrios is finding his home where he's sitting down in the zone, finding a spot to go. And I think that that's a good spot for him. Um, I think he's definitely somebody who's having, I mean, in in practice on Tuesday, he caught seven passes in team drills. Practice on Thursday, he caught another seven passes in team drills. So he is everywhere. He's catching everything. His stock, uh, in my opinion, is absolutely up. Um, another guy whose stock is up, I think, is C.J. Mosley. I think he's a guy that, uh, per teammates, per coaches, he's showing no rust, no shine, no signs of of any of any. He's showing no signs that he's basically played three healthy quarters the last two years. Uh, so I think that he's a guy that that is definitely has his stock up. His stock is on the rise. Uh, absolutely. Um, so that was a big one. CJ Mosley, Braxton Berrios, uh, Zach Wilson, as we mentioned, Elijah Moore. I think those are the guys who stocks up. And then stock down for me, uh, Denzel Mims. And, and this is a guy that obviously he missed the first week of OTAs with an illness. He was back for the second week, though. And he was practicing with the second team. And the Jets seemed to like... Keelan Cole in front of him, where I know we were all talking Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, uh, Jamison Crowder as the Jets' one, two, three wideouts. I think it's honestly going to shape up probably by week one to be Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore. And then you're going to have Denzel Mims, Jamison Crowder, Braxton Berrios rotating in in some way, shape, or form in packages and stuff. Because the Jets seem to really, I guess you could make Keelan Cole another stock riser because his 
He just seems like he's a better scheme fit. He's a he's a better route runner than Denzel Mims. He's better after the catch than Denzel Mims. Has better reliable hands than Denzel Mims. A little bit quicker, faster, more elusive than Mims. Mims, if you remember, coming out of Baylor, was a linear player. Like there were people that questioned if he would ever develop into an above average route runner. It just wasn't what he did well. He was a guy that was go deep, run deep routes, and and when the ball's in the air, he's going to find a way to come down with it. And you saw that his rookie year. This year, obviously, it's it's still so early, it's still OTAs, but I mean, I haven't seen him take that next step necessarily with route running where he doesn't create much separation with route running. It's it's odd, it's unique. Like he still makes catches, contested catches, because he's so great at, at going up and getting the ball, but he's not really a guy that that runs himself open with his routes like Keelan Cole would. So uh, in my opinion, I think his stock is down both because it looks like Keelan Cole's work or yeah, Keelan Cole's working in front of him. Another guy who stocks down is Alex Lewis just because he hasn't been here. I mean, that's a guy who had a chance to compete for, for a starting offensive guard spot. He's out in Arizona working out on his own. Well, it's in, these reps are important. Even though there's no contact, there's no pads, these reps are important for the offensive linemen to, to get some chemistry together, which is something the Jets haven't had. So he's someone who stocks down. Jamison Crowder, obviously, because he's not there. And the other big one whose stock is down, in my opinion, is Blake Cashman. You know, this was a guy who the first set of OTAs he was the Jets' starting weak side linebacker. It was him, Jared Davis, DJ Mosley. Those were the guys that were working together. I don't know what happened, but now suddenly Blake Cashman spent the last two weeks in the rehab area, and you've got a bunch of different of the rookies now, sure, with things like this, guys like that who are rotating in um, to play that weak side linebacker position. And look, Cashman isn't a guy that was drafted by Mike McCack, or he was a guy that was drafted by Mike McCack, not Joe Douglas. He's part of the old regime. So, these guys that are in there, these guys that are now taking Cashman reps, they're Joe Douglas guys. And that matters when you're piecing together a roster. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt when Cashman will not. So uh, your best ability is reliability. And right now, that's not there with Cashman. The fact that he couldn't even get through a contactless OTA before he headed over to the rehab area, it's not a great sign. And obviously, there's guys that are taking his spot and filling in for him now, and, and there hasn't been much of a drop-off. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, so looking ahead to minicamp next week, which is not voluntary, so you would hope everybody's going to be there. Uh, it sounds like Jamison Crowder is going to be there, according to what Robert Sala has said. We'll see. So when you think ahead to next week, what are the biggest things, Connor, in your eyes? Is it seeing Crowder back on the field working uh, with Zach Wilson? Obviously seeing Carl Lawson on the field doing things. And then is there any chance Becton actually gets back on the field, or is he still a long way away with the foot. I don't think they'll screw. I don't think they'll mess around with that until training camp. I think yeah. I think we're not going to see back until training camp. Um, the things I want to see is what you said. I want to see Lawson. I want to see Lawson on this defense. Like, that's a big one. I, I want to see Lawson out there making plays. Like, that. Like to see him. I mean, if he's going up, even without pads, if he's going up against Carl Lawson, or if Carl Lawson is going up against Connor McDermott, he should make Connor McDermott look silly. Like, he should be in the backfield all the time to the point where the Jets are like, all right, Carl, take take your foot off the gas a little bit. We want to evaluate the offense here. So I want to see that. That's a big one. I do want to see if Crowder shows up because the one thing that Salah said was I expect everyone to be here. I expect everyone. Well, it's mandatory. So obviously he expects everyone to be here. That doesn't necessarily mean everyone will be here. So I'm curious if that Crowder 
uh, contract thing winds into next week. I, I'm curious about that. I do want to see. And then I want to see when Crowder's there, when Cole is there, when Mims is there. I want to see what the wide receiver rotation looks like because Corey Davis should also be on the field. I mean, when we asked Salah about that week too, he said if this was a game week, he would be playing. Okay, well now he didn't practice in the second week OTAs, didn't practice the third week OTAs. Now we're going into the fourth week, which is mini camp. Is he going to try to get out there with Zach Wilson or are you going to hold him off till training camp? They might hold him off till training camp, but I do want to see that. I want to see what the wide receiver rotation looks like when all bodies are here, including Crowder, Moore, Mims, Davis. I want to see Cole. I want to see what that looks like. Um, and the other thing I want to see is is guys that haven't stepped up, step up. Chris Herndon, I want to see him step up. I want to see Denzel Mims step up and get rid of those drops. I want to see Zach Wilson take that next step. I want to see some more finalization with the running back rotation. Those are all things that I haven't necessarily seen yet that I want to see uh, here moving forward. All right. Well, that's going to pretty much do it for us here on this episode. We are going to be back again next week um, as minicamp wraps up. We'll bring you one more episode before Connor goes and gets married. Then we'll have a little break for that. He's not going to podcast. I was going to say, are we going to live broadcast the wedding? Yeah, I'll live tweet it. Bree does want wants a videographer. Maybe we'll just do it. try to get a live stream of the broadcast there. We'll see if that's, uh, if that's okay. I'll zoom there in you. when you start to cry on the vows and stuff. <laughs> Don't, worry. Don't worry. Don't worry, Jets either. listeners. I got you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. In other news, uh, Robert Sala actually is going to be on the Athletic Football Show next week. We may bring you some sound from that as well on this show. Uh, Robert Mays sat down with him, so check that one out as well. If you want to join The Athletic, you can do it right now for just $3.99 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait to get all the great writing of Connor, all our other NFL writers, our Islanders writers. For you Islanders fans out there, Arthur does such a great job. Check that out as well. Um, So that'll do it for this episode of the Can't Wait Podcast.